Before we start today's show, I could really use your help with something. As you know, Master Brewers is an association run by some of the hardest working folks in the brewing industry. They all have jobs, but also serve the association as volunteers in lots of different ways. I need your help filling a volunteer role that, in my opinion, is one of the simplest but most important jobs. It's super easy, doesn't take much time at all, but is critical to the value of membership and to this podcast. If you're willing to help me out and give back to this incredible association, please take a minute to go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash working group to learn more. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. If you open a tank after cleaning and you see still, you know, kind of white spots, wipe them. If they get easily wiped off, that means we brought the chemicals there, it got enough um, energy to loosen it up but we didn't have enough energy to remove it if you can't even wipe it off that means we didn't even get the chemicals there this week on the show let's get back to the basics of cleaning and sanitation in the brewery hey i'm oliver manert i'm the technical director of for brewing of the sea löffler company I think most every brewer is familiar with the term CIP, but in case we have any freshly minted brewers listening, tell us what that means and also what is meant by its counterpart, COP. Okay. CIP is the abbreviation for cleaning in place. That means that all the equipment can be easily cleaned without major adjustments or um, uh, adding hoses, um, repiping things or putting new hoses on there. Um, it's just basically f- switching valves, automated valves, manual valves, you know, on switchboards or on um, swing panels. And then you have your chemicals ready to go, stored in tanks. And then with the help of pumps, you basically circulate your various cleaning solutions, water, caustic, acid, etc., through these pipes and systems to clean them. So it's it's a very safe um, environment because you don't really have direct contact with the chemicals and um, since everything is made up and hopefully in the modern systems it's made up man- uh, automatically by conductivity probes etc uh, the cleaning in place is a very um, reliable and um, high quality cleaning in contrast to that the cop cleaning out of place that's a lot of manual work you have to take things apart you autom- uh, you put them into a trough, into a bucket, you soak them, you manually brush them. So the, first of all, like I said, you brush them manually. That means you have direct contact with the chemicals. Please be aware that you always wear your proper PPE to protect yourself. And then, you know, the question is how everybody has a different understanding of making up a chemical. Some say it's more, some say, uh, use less chemicals. Um, soaking times can vary the amount of 
energy you put in to brush something. So COP is a much more individual system, which doesn't give you the proper quality in most cases like a CRP system does. Okay. Now, if I have to climb into a tank and, and do a confined space entry to clean it, is that still considered CIP or is that COP? Um, that would be considered as a COP because you have, even if it's out of place, but um, it's, it's not um, a system where you have a fully automation because you bring in your own chemicals, you bring in your own brush, your own cloth to wipe it off. Um, so the COP is in a tank is basically Nothing I would recommend besides what you just mentioned, the keyword, the confined space entry. Um, whenever it's possible, stay away from any confined space entries. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Um, Oliver, uh, what would you say uh, What would you say are the parts of the brewing process uh, where you've seen brewers have the most difficulty with cleaning? Um, the first part, which is difficult, is probably the kettle because we have very high heat impact. We have a lot of strong uh, scorching, strong foul build up. Um, we have a lot of cases where tube starts clock up. Smaller breweries who still use direct fires, you know, a gas burner underneath the kettle. So you have a complete different energy impact on the bottom of the, t um, the kettle. So the fouling scorching is much more intense than, let's say, in a, in a, mesh ton so this is a very tough situation to clean it and then of course uh, the second part is mostly pipes where you know you don't have the proper mechanical action inside but number one would definitely be the kettles what exactly is it that we're usually trying to clean what does the composition of your average brewery soil look like? So in, um, in the majority is of course organic matter the number of inorganic matter is very very low um, Starch and the proteins are the ones which by far have the highest compounds. I mean, starch is between 63 and 65%. Um, raw protein is around 10, 11%. I mean, recently we see a higher increase in proteins, which means the starch will go down. So the yield will go down. But at the end, these two compounds create the majority of the fouling on the surface in the kettle, in your mash tun, etc., even down, down when you go to the fermenters. Whereas the fermenters, you know, the yeast will contribute, but in most cases, it's starch and proteins. What, do you, what would you like to say about water chemistry and how that affects cleaning? Um, the water chemistry, of course, we look at from two sides. If you work with a hard water and blending it with caustic, the more hardness you have in the caustic solution, the hardness will basically um, get you know uh, into a kind of a fight with the actual um, organic matter so the caustic doesn't know what to deal with first that's why a good built caustic contains um, chelating agents to take the, the hardness out of the water and basically can then focus the caustic can focus on the actual um, organic matters um, in a perfect world you know you want to use very soft water for making your um, cleaning solution whereas um, the hardness varies from different type of waters as you can see um, Dortmund has and Burton are really strong uh, very hard waters whereas Pilsen is a very soft water but the other problem is that the harder the water is although you have more built up on the inorganic side so every now and then um, you see more inorganic on the kettle wherever it is um, especially like if you look at the hot liquor tank um, and that needs to be removed too but this is then more like an acid-based cleaning um, we also recommend sometimes if you have very hard water that instead of using caustic first and then acid we start first with an acid do what we call a so-called acid cracking try to kind of break the whole soul open and then the caustic will actually be able to penetrate deeper and then dissolve the organic matter and then really basically removes the whole layer combined with inorganics do you recommend that brewers who don't have hard water is it worth it for them to um to avoid uh, built cleaners that have a lot of the chelating agents since they don't really need them? Or is that, does it not really matter so much? It doesn't really matter because they also contain a lot of other fancy additives in the product, which, um, for example, for caustic, reduces the viscosity, reduces the surface tension, and that helps a lot to penetrate fast and deeper into the cracks and crevices of the fouling. <laughs> 
Walk us through the steps of soil removal. Most brewers probably don't think about cleaning in this way, but describe what's really happening as a CIP cycle progresses. So after we finish the first rinse to remove all the loose particles, you know, which we don't want to have in our caustic, um, once we start with the chemicals, um, the first part is the chemical is carried by the water to the surface where the fouling is on. So the first part is actually wetting the soil. So basic water with the caustic starts penetrating the soil. Um, once the chemical is inside of the soil, there will be a kind of a chemical and physical reaction going on. The chemical is basically breaking up a peptide bond, you know, from proteins. The physical is when the liquid is hot, let's say 170 degree Fahrenheit, um, the heat will also start breaking things up. So once the chemical is in there and does its job by a chemical and physical reaction, um, it mentions also that hard water constituents will basically compete with the caustic. Um, and then the idea is um, the convective and diffusive transport of the gleading agents to the soil will help too. That's more for pipes, um, how it works. But overall, if you look at a tank, you have a spray ball in the tank. The liquid is going through the holes of the spray ball to the surface. It's coming down like a closed curtain on the tank ball inside. And that basically is the process of bringing the chemicals to the dirt starting to loosen the dirt and then removing the dirt by, you know, the mechanical action of the closed curtain of water going down. So this is um, overall the basics. Um, once it is removed, you know, the water collects in the bottom of the cone of your tank. Um, you want to make sure that it doesn't redeposit, redeposit um, so that the, the motion of the water, the energy of the water, actually will remove it so the dirt the particles don't settle out and basically you just relocate them from one position to the other one um, and then you bring it all over to the um, CIP system back sometimes you even have a screener there so the bigger particles are kind of sorted out so they don't contaminate more of the caustic but that's the basic idea of the um, basics of cleaning Talk about what we sometimes refer to as the Sinner Circle or the four pillars of cleaning. Right. So, Mr. Sinner, um, a German guy, used to work for Henkel, which is now part of um, Ecolab. Um, he came up that the circle that he took the four parameters, which are mostly influencing the cleaning. This is the concentration of the chemicals, chemicals, the mechanical energy, the temperature of the chemical, and, of course, the time. And all these play with each other. So if you say, okay, I want to increase the temperature, I might cut down in the concentration of my chemicals or I might cut down in the time. So the idea is to optimize the cleaning either if the brewery says, hey, we have no time, we need to get the tank quickly cleaned. Okay, we might heat up a little bit more and we add a little bit more chemicals so we can cut down the time. The mechanical energy is pretty much given. There's not much play around with it. There's not much wiggly room. Um, because when you look at a spray ball, if you turn it up more, it doesn't mean better because what happens, especially if it's a static spray ball, you start vaporizing it. So you don't actually get the full amount of liquid to the tank wall anymore. You just create a gigantic mist inside of the tank. And so you don't have enough liquid chemical on the tank wall to do the physical and chemical dissolving of the um, the fouling and then you don't have enough mechanical energy from the closed curtain which should be about two millimeter thick running down the tank wall to remove the loosened dirt so um, for these different devices which you can put into a tank for a CAP ball or um, you know rotary ball or jet balls um, you always want to have a proper flow rate and pressure to get the best mechanical action out so the mechanical action is pretty much given by your equipment you're right you can add a bigger pump but like i said it it's not always the great thing to just turn up the pump because you can also get the counter effect that you don't get the tank clean all right good i want to ask you more about spray balls here in a few minutes but before i do talk about um why planning and construction is the right time to start thinking about cleaning uh you know, can't we just worry about that once our equipment shows up? Um, not really, because you want to make sure that 
all the mechanics inside of the pipe that you have a turbulent flow versus a laminar flow in the pipe, that you have the proper pump, that the pipe diameter is pretty much constant throughout the whole facility, um, that the equipment itself has the proper spray ball. Nowadays, most equipment manufacturer have always the right way to do this. But from the beginning, cleaning and sanitation is very important and it has to be part of the planning. Um, also from the Hygienic design, you know, that the cleaning itself is done easier by just making sure that the surface is nice. You know, it's very smooth. You don't have a rough surface because the rougher, the harder the dirt will get off. Um, although that the passivation of the tank is done properly. So you actually have although a smoother surface and a surface which doesn't affect so much the stainless itself by the product, by the chemicals. Um, planning is very important from the from the beginning on, not only for the brewing process, but also for cleaning and sanitation. You know, that said, there's there's no one-size-fits-all CIP program. So even with good planning, it's pretty likely that I might need to make some adjustments based on actual conditions in the brewery, right? Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, there's always parameters coming in which you haven't thought at the beginning or all of a sudden you changed. Um, simple is like, how often do you clean? You know. Um, are you brewing only very light beers, you know, with a plate of below 10 and with hardly any hops in it? Or if you do a double IPA with a gravity of, you know, 18, 20, a plato, um, that of course makes a big difference, especially if you look then at the kettle boiling, the, you know, the more organic material you bring in there, the faster it will clock up, the faster the f- scorching will happen. So you have to increase the frequency of the cleaning sanitation. Um, People change things at the moment. Oil becomes a bore from, from the hops, becomes a bigger topic. So we might have to adjust some of the chemicals to be better on the oil itself from the hops. Um, the soil, I mentioned it already, um, the quality of the process water. You know, all of a sudden the, the water changes, the incoming water from the city, from your well, whatever is changing. And higher pH, more hardness, whatever, um, you have to compensate for that. So most of these things are easy to do. Um, environment of a brewery, that should be taken consideration also from the beginning. You know, if you live like in Florida, in Texas, where you have in the summer a very high humidity, a very high temperature, um, ideally you want to have an enclosed cellar for fermentation. You want to, in a perfect world, you want to basically clean the air dry the air so the amount of mold is reduced forming um if you go up to montana they don't even know what mold is because the air is so dry nothing grows there so i mean that makes a big difference and then of course the crp equipment you know all of a sudden you increase your capacity you add more tanks the tanks go further away maybe then the tank size of your crp doesn't have enough liquid in it to clean the tank which is furthest away so there are a bunch of things which can happen afterwards, but when you start planning very well in advance and you take as many points in consideration, you shouldn't have too many problems later on. Let's go back to that center circle and hear about how each of those four variables affects the types of brewery soil that we're trying to clean. Um, okay, the temperature, I mean, it varies a little bit, but... Of course, we always say with caustic, with organics, the higher the temperature, the better the cleaning happens. Um, first of all, if you look at the different um, compounds, you know, proteins, fats, carbohydrates, or minerals, um, they have, depending on the higher the temperature, a faster release, faster breakdown. You know, if it's just a peptide bond, for example, in proteins, which need to be broken up. Um, also, there's kind of a rule of thumb out. If you increase the temperature by 10 centigrade or 18F, the chemical reactions inside will double in speed. So theoretically, if you do this, you can cut your cleaning time in half. It doesn't work always like that perfect, but overall it does. Um, so the temperature plays a very important role. Also, what happens is the viscosity and the surface tension will be reduced. So again, next to the additives in your caustic, the penetration of your liquid, you know, the water with the chemical, it's faster into the whole process. The process will also, you know, swell, expand, break open. So the temperature contributes a lot of advantages to it. 
it's not like if you go higher and higher, you know, after a certain temperature, you will have counter effects. So 175, maybe 180, that's the maximum temperature I would recommend for caustic. All other cleaning chemicals I would always recommend at ambient temperature. And I mean, obviously, there's a, a bit of a trade off there between how, you know, effective the cleaning is going to be versus safety, too, right? right. So um, would you say that there's a sort of a sweet spot where um, you, you kind of get the maximum uh, benefit with the, you know, without the risk being higher than it should be? <laughs> I mean, of course, um, the higher the temperature next to the chemical problem when you get it on your skin is the temperature, of course. So, you know, if you have 180 degree liquid getting on your skin, I mean, it burns and it creates serious injuries. Um, but plus with the chemical, you know, the injuries get even worse. Uh, I would say to be always safe, always have the proper PPE. Um, the temperature basically just speeds up any injuries when you get it on your body. On the other hand, the trade-off is, you know, if you do everything right, the advantage of the higher temperature for the cleaning effect is much better. And like I said, coming back to the cleaning in place, um, if everything is in a confined area where you don't really have open access, you should be safe. Okay, sounds good. Um, let's hear about the next one, which is time. Okay, so time is another um, part, and like I mentioned before, I mean, with increasing concentration, with increasing temperature, we can shorten the time. One of the toughest parts to clean is the kettle. You know, we have, first of all, a lot of, but other very strong burnt-on material. So time is uh, very important. Next to that, if you look at the uh, um, calendria, internal calendria, the tubes, you don't really have any sprayers. You just have a spray ball on top, so you sprinkle the liquid. It runs by itself through, though the mechanical action is very, very low. Um, so the time plays an important role that when the, the scorching, the fouling gets so soaked with the liquid. Um, if you look at shorter processes, like just getting removed some inorganic in a tank like beer stone, um, a small acid at ambient temperature within minutes, the amount of beer stone normally you have is removed in no time. It's a different story if you look at um, um, hot liquor tanks, for example, when they have not been serviced on a regular basis and you have like an inch or more thick buildup of, you know, calcium magnesium layers. In this particular case, um, either you fill it and add quite a bit of acid so it dissolves after a while, or you run multiple cycles because the acid will be used up, so you have to replenish the acid all the time. Um, but I think the time can also be impacted how often you clean, how well you clean things. The longer you wait, the time becomes a very crucial part because then the cleaning also takes much longer. It's similar at home, you know, when you do dishes. Yeah, I was um, eyeing the uh, empty pot of oatmeal uh, at lunch this uh, this afternoon that was left there in the sink uh, um, the, from the morning, yeah. thinking about the, the, the center cycle and how I was going to need to use a little time yeah. um, to get that Just to work. fill it up with hot water, put a little bit of dish soap in there, and wait. That's right. Coming up, you have to slow down the flow of your product side. You have to increase the flow of your cooling side. That's mostly an indication that something is wrong with your heat exchanger. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, Try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time. 
from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Support for this episode comes from Hop Solutions by BSG. The Hop Solutions portfolio is a joint effort between the brewers, hop specialists, and brewing scientists of BSG and the RAR Technical Center that takes a flavor-first, application-specific approach to hops. Whether you're seeking biotransformation in a juicy IPA or dialing in a classic West Coast profile, BSG has a hop solution for that. Get in touch with the hop nerds at BSG at letstalkhops at bsgcraft.com for samples, spots, and contracts. Are you looking to improve yield, quality, and sustainability in your cellar? Alpha Laval has over 60 years of brewing experience offering centrifuges, dealkalization systems, yeast plants, and complete cold block cellar projects designed for the most gentle and efficient treatment of your beer, cider, hard seltzer, or other beverages. Let the leaders in brewing innovation help you meet your greatest production and sustainability goals. Visit alphalaval.us slash MBAA to learn more. KegShoe is trusted by hundreds of breweries around the world to track and manage keg fleets, empower sales teams, and gain new insights into how their beer is treated from distributor to tap. KegShoe. Sell more, lose less, deliver your best. For more info or to get started with keg tracking, CRM, or smart monitoring, visit kegshoe.ca slash podcast. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins July 22nd. District Mid-Atlantic meets in Richmond, Virginia, July 23rd. What to do when you screw up a DEI webinar on July 26th. District Northern Illinois has a summer shop talk at Crust Brewing, July 29th. District Midwest meets in Columbus, Ohio, July 30th. The annual District Texas meeting at End of the Hills begins August 5th. The 2022 Brewing Summit, that's the combined meeting with Master Brewers and ASBC, is August 14th through the 16th in Rhode Island. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. I guess one question about time um, is more always better. And I asked that thinking about um, an episode we did a while back with um, someone who was talking about brewery hoses and and soft parts and things like that, that are um, maybe not going to hold up to some of these chemicals with lots of lots and lots of uh, abuse. Right. So time, very good uh, point, especially once we talk about materials which have not such a high compatibility to the chemicals, then time becomes a very important topic. This is the reason why we always say, please never pack anything. Don't pack a heat exchanger, don't pack a hose, and then let's sit over the weekend. Um, especially talking about the heat exchanger, um, the gaskets are very specific gaskets. They're very expensive. It's nothing you just buy at the hardware store around the corner. And if you leave them packed, um, that's the biggest part. And keep in mind, some of these surfactants inside of the built chemicals will leach out of the rubber, um, the plasticizer, the softener, which keeps it flexible. And everybody will notice after a while that a gasket or hose will start getting more brittle. And once that happens and it starts cracking, the chemical can get inside of it and then the system is or whatever item it is is damaged so in this particular case um, i would always recommend to minimize or optimize the time versus how amount of chemicals um, especially if it's about equipment i always recommend look what the manufacturer actually recommends you know the highest concentration what type of chemicals what's the maximum temperature you can use so you don't really either get the warranty broken by you know if you exceed the concentration if you exceed the time but also to keep the system as long functioning as possible how about mechanical force that's one of the four variables in center circle what do we need to know so um typical ccv if we look at the three sections we have the cylindrical part we have the conical part in the bottom and then we have a dome so in the middle you will have a spray ball the spray ball can a static spray ball can a whirly bit a rotary spray ball or now the newer fancier ones where you have actually two or four jets rotating driven by a gearbox which is driven by the actual flow of the liquid um when we talk the 
most simple one, a static spray ball. I always recommend for the brewing industry a 360, so that actually the spray ball itself going upwards where the pipe, where it's attached to, gets cleaned, although the dome gets cleaned because most tanks have, you know, during the fermentation, it's completely filled um, with foam from the yeast and from the fermentation. So you want to make sure that everything gets cleaned. Um, it's very important that this device fits to the tank size, that we have a nice flow of liquid going through the whole system. And at the end, we have basically the whole tank wall covered with a two millimeter thick liquid film. The dome itself, probably not so much because it will drop down, but important is that the vertical walls and then in the cone that we have the right amount of liquid flowing down because the liquid itself flowing down provides the mechanical action to remove. Uh, I want to point out something here. If you open a tank after cleaning and you see still, you know, kind of white spots and you want to find out, is it a mechanical action or a chemical action, whatever, wipe them. If they get easily wiped off, that means we brought the chemicals there. It got enough um, energy to loosen it up, but we didn't have enough energy to remove it. If you can't even wipe it off, that means we didn't even get the chemicals there. So we have to look for the spray ball. Are the holes clogged? Is the pump the right speed, etc.? So this is something which is very important. And talking about the cone at the end, what we would like to see is that we fill as much liquid in the circle of a cleaning in the cone that when the pump pulls out of the cone, we don't have any vortex formation. We don't have any air pulled in, but we don't want to have too much liquid, which then starts kind of calming down and all the floating dirt inside has enough time to settle out on the cone wall in the bottom. So it's very important that all these parameters kind of play with each other in a perfect situation. Um, like I said, these um, systems nowadays were automatically delivered by the um, supplier. If you want to go more fancy and you get one of these whirly birds, you know, you have a little bit more impingement. The new rotary jets, actually, they're not that new, but um, now there are smaller ones out for smaller tanks. Uh, in the old days, that was just humongous pieces of equipment for really, really big tanks, you know, a thousand barrels and more. Um, you have an advantage because then you have a real impingement. That means you have a strong stream of liquid hitting the surface which adds a lot of additional mechanical energy to it and you normally let it run for x amount of minutes until all sp spots or all surfaces of the tank have been hit with a jet all right very good um i, I would say that I, I haven't used many of those in a long time but um you know I, i've definitely encountered some where it sounds great but then they don't spin when they're they get clogged up and they just stay in one position and then you find that you only cleaned part of the tank <laughs> yes i've seen that also and either it's clogged up i've seen already situations when you put too much pressure too fast on it they might kind of twist a little bit and then they don't they're not free anymore and then they get stuck and then you just see one clean line and the rest is basically still dirty because the liquid never showed up there yeah all right you mentioned uh, laminar flow a little bit earlier. Talk about the difference between laminar and turbulent flow and why that matters. So when we have a liquid going through a pipe, and depending on the speed, the liquid has different behaviors inside of the pipe. Um, when we go slowly, and if you cut the liquid into indefinite amount of layers, and then you look at the layer which is in the center, and you look at the layer which is at the tank wall, um, the tank wall layer is basically at the speed of zero. So there's no motion. And the highest speed is in the center of the pipe. In this particular case, we don't have actually any liquid and chemicals brought to the dirt or to the fouling. Second, we don't have any mechanical action once it's loosened up to be removed. So the goal is to speed up the liquid inside of the pipe that we switch from laminary to turbulent flow. The turbulent flow is basically then that we have a lot of vortexes inside and we have um, a good mechanical action on the pipe wall. We talk about so-called Reynolds number, which is an unit-free number, and it's calculated of multiple parameters of your liquid, the pipe diameters, and so on. But the speed is actually the, the biggest variable in there. And the higher the speed, you actually go higher into the Reynolds number. And if you get 
above 4,000, that's when we have a turbulent flow. That's when we ensure that all the um, pipe walls get a nice hit by vortexes. When we get slower, then, then we have a transition time, uh, area between 21 and 4,000. So that means we have laminary, but we also have every now and then turbulent flow. And if we get below 2,100, then we have a very constant laminary flow. Um, this is easy when you have one pipe diameter throughout the whole system. If you have like bigger pipes at the beginning and further down, um, people start reducing the diameter because for, you know, saving amount of liquid, etc., etc. You have to make sure that on the highest part, you still have a good turbulent flow. Because um, if you look at the changes, um, if you have like a three inch versus a four inch pipe, in a three inch pipe, you have a baby six meters per second speed, whereas when it goes to four inches, it's down to about four meters per second of speed. And that can already change significantly the Reynolds number. And that means you will probably or whatever drop from a turbulent into a laminary section. So it's very important that you have um, always a enough speed. Um, if you want to find out, um, you, you can rent um, systems. You should click outside on the pipe. and They can actually then check the flow meter, and then you can calculate based on your information how fast is the liquid going through your pipe and if you're in a turbulent or laminary area. Um, there are pictures. We did trials cleaning, you know, too slow. Pipe didn't get clean. Once we, we increased the speed, the pipe was absolutely nice and shiny. It's been a while since I've thought about it, but I believe in, in school, I always learned the rule of thumb that your um, CIP should be at least 1.5 times the, um, the flow rate of your normal process. Is that still a good rule of thumb or do you recommend something different? Um, I mean, it has been mentioned. It's not very often that people mention it nowadays, but it's a good rule of thumb, you know, just to be on the safe side because then you always ensure, not always, but you ensure quite often that you have the proper amount, a proper speed inside of the pipe. Yes. And, and last but not least, we've got the fourth variable, the chemical solution that's used for cleaning. Let's go back to the typical soils that we find in the brewery and talk about which types of chemicals work best on each type of soil. So, I mean, the, the first rough um, distinction is basically all the organics work with caustic and all the inorganics with acid. You can do a little bit of you know, acid on organic too, but um, caustic is good for proteins and fats, um, although good on carbohydrates, depending how the, the status of the carbohydrates. Otherwise, carbohydrates are very easily to dissolve in water. Acid actually is really good in minerals. Um, dissolving, you know, um, you know, if you have beer stone, which is a typical mineral inside of a, um, your system, um, we are currently actually trialing a brand new patent product we will come out with some information in the next couple of months about it where we try to clean all the organic substances with acid so that has a complete different topic in regards of saving co2 saving energy saving time but um, overall you can say caustic is good for proteins and carbohydrates Keep in mind that's the majority of the fouling in your tanks, in your equipment of the brew house. Um, that's why the main focus of your CIP is always first caustic, rinsing, and then acid. Um, we always recommend, especially in fermenters, if you don't really have much scale built up by inorganics, you don't have to do an acid rinse all the time. You know, depending on the hardness of your water, depending how your beer behaves in regards of beer stone, maybe every third, every fifth cycle, you will add an acid rinse to it. That saves time, that saves chemicals, that saves water. Um, that's perfect. But overall, please, um, caustic is the most important with your organics. If you're a Gen Xer like me or older, you probably remember the we work hard so you don't have to scrubbing bubbles commercials. Yeah. Talk about how that works and the various options for achieving that same effect in the brewery. Okay, so um, especially in the brew house and the kettle where we have the strongest scorching, um, we like to add an oxidizer to the caustic of the so-called scrubbing bubbles. But the the oxidative, the, the, the little micro explosions when the hydrogen peroxide basically breaks apart will crack the surface. So instead of just having the liquid slowly wetting 
penetrating the soil. The little bubbles actually crack it open. The liquid can go faster in it. Um, we had cases where we were able to cut down a 90-minute cleaning of a kettle to 35 minutes. Um, what do we recommend as an oxidative cleaner mostly nowadays is hydrogen peroxide. Um, there are others out. Um, I mean, bleach, everybody's familiar with that. Um, which is sodium hypochlorite. Um, it's a cheap product, but we try to stay away from any chlorinated product as far as possible because pitting. pitting, exactly, chlorine is yeah. always negative on stainless steel. And then other compounds, perborate or percarbonate, they are sometimes part of a so-called non-caustic cleaner, you know, powdered stuff. Um, maybe you think back in the old days when you added your soap for the dishwasher, which was a white powder, they often contain that. To clean that's why you see although that your some of the painted dishes kind of fade the color because they kind of bleach that color out there but nowadays the hydrogen peroxide um, based oxidizer is the tool number one for adding to the caustic to improve the cleaning um, you can shorten it you can actually reduce a little bit the caustic concentration and if you have a big krausen ring on your fermenter you know with a lot of yeast with a lot of protein with a lot of hops in it um, and you want to get that faster cleaned we can also recommend to add the booster to that caustic for the fermenter but the primary application point is your kettle um, I, I wanted to ask you if you've ever seen it uh, or if you have any opinion about doing it uh, in, a, in a little bit of a different way. Um, years ago, I worked in a brewery and we had a, um, uh, we had a persistent uh, you know, protein residue in the, in the brew kettle that was um, tough to get all the way out. And um, someone recommended at some point what they referred to as a caustic override. And essentially what we did is instead of doing the caustic cycle first and then the, your normal rinse and then an acid cycle, uh, we did an acid cycle first, which you kind of mentioned yeah. earlier. And then we, we drained it out, but we didn't rinse it. And then we immediately followed with the caustic uh, solution. And uh, what I was told was that you could um, you could get sort of some of the same scrubbing bubble effect by the interaction of the caustic and the and, and the residual uh, acid that was left in there. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, Is that a good idea, bad idea? I think it's more from the safety part. I would be, I would not recommend it. it it's kind of, the, I mean, keep in mind the amount of acid remaining is probably very small. Right. Um, but keep in mind, it's basically a, neutralization reaction you know when you add caustic exactly. to acid or the other way around um, these reactions are mostly a very exothermic reaction depending on the concentration of course um, so the, i would be a little bit nervous doing it besides since the acid is so small um, i don't see really much happening there um, I, I understand the overall thing and i mentioned it before that depending on the um, situation when you have a lot of hardness sometimes the acid will help to crack it open and then the caustic right. has a better access to the to the organic matters but um, i would rather see the situation that you all lose more of your causticity by the neutralization i mean i yeah. i had a case not too long ago where they had issues getting a tank clean if they used it only at 75 percent capacity versus 100% capacity. And so we went back and forth, and then I finally went there and looked it up and immediately noticed that even they said they blow down the tank, but they didn't really well blow down the tank from the CO2. When it was only filled 75%, there was so much more CO2 in there mm. that the caustic, which was injected, immediately got neutralized. Um, and there was so much fouling in there that the caustic wasn't even titratable anymore because you couldn't see the you know the color change of the phenolphthalein um so i basically take a took a ph meter to check the ph value and i noticed the ph was down by nine and a half so it was already heavily neutralized just by the co2 um that leads me to another very important hint for everybody um injecting a caustic solution into a tank with a lot of co2 and you don't have a proper vacuum breaker or the manhole is open that's one of the major reasons that your tank implodes and collapses and then you have a serious damage yeah that's right okay cool um yeah i always wondered um i always wondered if that caustic override procedure wasn't um less from the from the reaction and more from 
either denaturing some of those proteins first before the caustic got to work in there, or like you said, uh, maybe dealing with some hard water issues too. So um, maybe that's why it was, you know, why it was as effective as it was. But um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, That's good advice. Is there anything you want to say about sanitizers? So, I mean, sanitizers are very important, you know, because they are the last line of defense for having your equipment in a status where you don't have to worry or hopefully don't have to worry about any microbiological contamination. Um, Rule number one is you cannot sanitize a dirty surface. So before you sanitize, you need to make sure the tank is absolutely clean. All visible organic, inorganic matter is removed. Um, Chemical sanitizers are basically a surface sanitizer, so they don't really get into things. In other words, if there's a micro sitting in a remaining fouling of proteins or carbohydrates, um, they don't get touched. They can harbor in there, and once the beer gets in there, basically this thing can start contaminating the beer. Sanitizer itself, um, I mean, there are multiple sanitizers out there nowadays. Um, I think the tool number one is deparasitic acid. I like it a lot because it has one big advantage. You can use it as a non-rinse sanitizer. And if there's a droplet of PA left in the tank and you put beer or wet whatever in there, um, all the breakdown compounds of PA are naturally occurring in beer. So CO2, water, a little bit of oxygen. I mean, oxygen we don't like, but I mean, it's not really a large amount. So we don't really have to worry about major staling or oxidizing compounds. Um, Although the acetic acid is one of the most common, if not the most common fermentation byproduct during the fermentation. In other words, all these parts which remain are naturally occurring in beer. If you go now over to a chlorine, bromine, iodine-based, quad-based sanitizer, and there are out there, although as an unrinsed sanitizer, if you add iodine or if you add any chlorine to your beer, it will have an impact on your flavor. It will have an impact on your head retention. So I rather stay away from that. And so sanitizers, um, I mean, the other complete part would be heat sanitation. So instead of using a chemical surface sanitizer, you can also use a heat. Um, you have to make sure that you the whole system gets enough heat for a certain amount of time that when we basically come back to Louis Pasteur with the pasteurization units, um, like when we in Germany, when we ran the word line from the brew house over to the fermenter, we ensured that the water had ADC, which is about 180F, and we ran it for 30 minutes to ensure that the 80 degrees were throughout the whole system, not just at the beginning. Um, that's very important. If you do heat sanitation, the advantage is the heat will penetrate into a gasket, will penetrate into a ball valve, will penetrate into a butterfly valve. So things which will hide and harbor back there, which the surface sanitizer can't get to, will also be destroyed. But the surface sanitizer nowadays, especially PA, works very well in ambient temperature. It goes very quickly, you know, less than a minute. It will do all its effect. We still recommend, depending on the size of the tank, a 10 to 15 minute um, sanitizer cycle to ensure that every surface spot of the equipment got this one minute contact time of PAA. Okay. Uh, You know, you mentioned it earlier, talking about... um gaskets becoming brittle and whatnot um and and everything you just said uh, now to me points to uh heat being the ideal way to go about sanitizing uh, uh the the normal plate heat exchanger that you'd find as a wort chiller in most breweries yet i am constantly surprised by how many breweries i see using chemical san- sanitation for uh, for their heat exchangers what are your thoughts on that am i crazy or is uh is heat really the way to go there um I mean, I can see it every now and then that they use actually, uh, you know, hydrogen peroxide uh, per acetic acid-based sanitizer because it works at cold temperature. You can run it the other way around. Same with hot water. I mean, in the perfect world, you're right, especially a heat exchanger has a lot of surface of your gasket material. So there's a lot of possibilities for micros to harbor. And normally, like I said, when we do the transfer from the, the kettle or whirlpool over to the seller um we like to run the hot water through the heat exchanger the heat exchanger and all the falling piping up to the tank got their adc water for about 30 minutes yeah 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 um okay cool yeah i i just i i find that amazing that um 
more people don't do that because you know you're uh, nobody wants to take apart their heat exchanger more often than you have to and uh and and i just feel like it's it's so risky you know it's easy for there to be soil in there that you can't see um you know so the the surface sanitizer just uh just doesn't seem like the right tool for the job to me yes i mean the heat x is indeed a very critical part because the mechanical action is close to zero you know you go with a pipe let's say two inches in there with a certain speed but then it's spread out and then the flow or the speed slows down so dramatically that you don't have any mechanical action that's why we kind of like although the hydrogen peroxide based booster to clean it um although what helps a lot is um if you go the opposite direction if you mostly this opposite direction increases mechanical action on the dirt keep in mind the dirt is attached it's always laying in the same direction all of a sudden you come from the opposite side like it's when you you pet your dog and you go the other way around and then you know the or the first stands up that basically is a good um, mechanical action because then the liquid can get underneath and can penetrate it easier and actually break it off so this is if possible the rule number one if you can clean it the opposite direction then the product flow is um second i always recommend that the pressure on the product side is higher than on the cooling side in other words if there's a leakage you only contaminate your coolant with your product but not your product that's contaminated by the coolant and um People tend to pack it, which I'm not recommending because especially if you have an oxidizer or a sanitizer, which is oxidizing um, like a PAA, that also takes a lot of toll on your gasket and makes your gasket faster brittle than you want. And then you have to open it more often, replace the very expensive gaskets. So um, as short as possible, clean it as frequently so you don't have a buildup of any you know, fouling inside mostly visible when the cooling effect slows down you know you you have to slow down the flow of your product side you have to increase the flow of your um, cooling side that's mostly an indication that something is wrong with your heat exchanger very similar when you have clogging tubes or starting to clogging tubes of your heat exchange of your calendria in in your kettle once the heating rate slows down and it takes longer to get you know to boiling temperature that's a sign you pass the time when you should clean it. That was Oliver Meinhold here on the Master Brewers podcast. Check the show notes for a direct link to his recent District Texas presentation. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.